the big silence, empowering personal experiences, inspiring compassion, and healing lives. We are no longer silent. We are here. The Big Silence. Hello and welcome to the Big Silence podcast. I am your host, Karina Dawn. I'm a mental health advocate, wellness entrepreneur, and co-founder of the leading women's fitness community, Tone It Up. I'm also a New York Times bestselling author and founder of the nonprofit, The Big Silence Foundation. I'm also a wife, daughter, friend, and yes, palm mom of five. And just like you, I'm a work in progress. I have experienced profound grief and trauma and then found deep joy in life. And now I'm here to share my story, be a safe space for you to share yours. And we're having in-depth conversations with psychologists, doctors, spiritual leaders, friends, and others who have been impacted directly or indirectly by a mental health condition. No more embarrassment, no more shame, no holding back, only healing. Let's go! Mental health is my wealth, the stress up on the shelf. Nobody can love me the way I love myself. Seek and ye shall find the truth and the light. I'm living my purpose, so I sleep good at night. No more depression or spiritual recession. And every day that I wake up, it's a blessing. So breathe in, breathe out. Everybody in the house know what I'm talking about. The Big Silence. The Big Silence. Welcome back to the Big Silence Podcast. Karina here. Ah, the end of my workday. Got to make some chili for my non-existent co-host who has missed several episodes. What's Emily's asking what's going on? <laughs> too busy, too busy. One day I'll get him back. But I am going to make a nice warm chili so when he gets home tonight, he'll be a happy man. A few things before we jump into the podcast. Dr. Nita, my friend here in Austin, I was on her podcast recently, The Brave Table. So make sure you check that out. She also has a new book coming out called That Sucked, Now What? I love the title. I absolutely love the title because we all have been through things that suck. But then how do you move on from that? And we discuss everything and all the tips and everything you need to know from moving on from trauma or having a career change in your life. So I hope you really love this podcast. So make sure you share it as always. Love that. Two very exciting things I want to announce. Number one, the Not Alone Challenge I am doing with Jewel. Singer-songwriter Jewel. Yes, that's right. So make sure, again, in the show notes, notalonechallenge.com, we have a lot of fun experiences. It's for both of our nonprofits, Inspiring Children, and then also The Big Silence. We have experiences that you can bid on, and it's going on for November, December, and part of January. Really fun things, like you can come to my house and have dinner with me and my Pomeranians and my non-existent co-host, Bobby. And different experiences, even train with me, private training with me, and meditation courses, and also train with an NFL pro, or train like an NFL pro with an NFL pro at the Collective Gym in Austin, Texas. It's a private gym. There's a ton of stuff. So go to 
notalonechallenge.com to see it all. And also, I'd like to encourage you, DM me at The Big Silence Instagram or my personal Instagram. What would you want as an experience? Let me know. And also, make sure you sign up for the newsletter at thebigsilence.com because you don't want to miss this coming on January 6th. It's my spiritual reset. So imagine coming up the hill country in the morning to my house here at Villa Artique, having sunrise yoga, connecting in a very intimate setting, very limited spots, and having a nice breakfast, doing a sound bath, meditation, cold plunge, sauna, workout with our collective trainers, small group breakouts with my girl, Gwen Dittmar doing breath work and therapy. I've got my my girl from Sedona coming in, my girl from LA. I've got Amber here. I have different psychologists. I just, I, I can't wait until just sign up for the newsletter. I can't even explain it all right now or announce it all, but it's a full day of just resetting spirituality, moving your body, a little fun, a little woo. You don't want to miss it. So yeah. That is coming. Again, sign up at thebigsilence.com to get more info. All right, here is Nita, my friend. You're going to love this episode. Again, make sure you share it with anyone, like, comment, rate, all that stuff so we can keep bringing you good episodes. Enjoy. See you later. All right. Nita, welcome to the Big Silence Podcast. Yay, we're doing it. I know. I'm so excited to have you here. Number one, I was already on your podcast. Yes. Oh my gosh. Wow. Thank you. I think we I, I think we both cried. Yeah. A lot. Pretty typical. Um, yeah. but I'm so excited to have you here because your story, you know who I was talking to this morning, Darlene. Oh, yes. I was <laughs> gonna say we needed to send her a photo, Darlene. We will. Okay. okay. Gotta send Darlene a photo. <laughs> I was like, it's coming here today. Oh. And she's like, no way. But anyways. She was also like, You need to be on her. Yeah. Yes. So, it was, it was great. <laughs> so I was talking to Darlene and I know you and a bit of your story. But when I was on your podcast, you were interviewing me and talking about me. And we were it was so quick. And we both are such busy women doing our thing, running our businesses that I was like, I need to talk to her more. I could have sat there and I had so many questions. So I'm excited to have you here because of your story. And I was just saying, we're just going to dive into it because like I mentioned, busy women, we got things to do. We got like less than 40 minutes to get this I out. Know. And same, and yeah. same. I was like, oh my gosh, we have so many similarities, but yeah. So you have the new book, That Sucked, Now What? Coming out in January, 2023. And I want to start this podcast with That Sucked. <laughs> yep. Let's go there. Let's go there. Oof. Okay. Yeah. The time that I left my first marriage mm. a decade ago. Mm. I feel like every year around like December 31st, it's always like, oh yeah, that happened. So that was like the, that sucked that would fully like shift and change the trajectory of my life. More so like wake me up and really shake me because I think up until that point, I was in my late 20s. I felt like I rode 
my pinnacle of success. I became a cosmetic dentist. And so all these things looked beautiful from the outside. I finally, I had my own practice. I had gotten married. It was this dream come true from the outside and even for myself. And I think there was so many shadows that I was hiding because December 31st, it all just came out. And I found myself literally looking at, I was in a five-story home in Chicago. So I'd, I'd made it. I'd made mm-hmm. it. And, but it was also that day that New Year's Eve, everyone's going out and celebrating. And I'm looking at the mirror, sobbing to myself, thinking, how the heck did I get here? Why and how? Because I'd find, it just clicked. It had clicked that I was in this abusive relationship, this abusive marriage. And I had been in such denial. So that was the day where I'm like, all right, I'm packing my bags. It was a saying that my girlfriend had mentioned a couple days before the chaotic messiness unraveled and unfolded. And she's like, Nita, you don't have to be here. You don't have to be like my parents, who is also from India. She's like, who's still, my mom still walks on eggshells around my dad. And she's like, you can change this. You're not even 30. And so that really struck at me. And that would really catapult me even in communities and building girlfriends and relationships and be the through line. But that really was the through line. Because then in those moments, I just packed up everything I could and left that life, Mm -hmm. left that home and would face my biggest demons. And that was, oh, wow, this girl who thought she had faced all of these things, but could hide it and put it in the back of a closet was literally coming up to the surface in such a big way. The fact that she had lost her mom, her dad, her brother Brother. in, you know, a span of five years, all before I was 19. And then a decade later to find myself in this crazy marriage. Do you think because you lost your, both your parents and your brother, who you also were, you helped raise him. Mm-hmm. Can we go into that? Yeah, because I think it's absolutely. so, I've interviewed a lot of people who have had experiences where they've lost parents and tragedy. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people out there who go through that and then overcome like you have. And also touching on the point of the overcoming and the healing of the trauma is a lifelong journey. Oh my journey. God. Yes. Which is why I'm so, like, when you came on the podcast, I'm like, oh my gosh, so many similarities and even everything that you stand for and what the big silence stands for. I didn't have that growing up. You know, my mom, I was 10 when I became a caretaker. She got sick. You know, we were living the American dream, Filipino mom, Indian dad. So we did all of the fun things. We were, you know, we looked ambiguous racially. So... We would go to Hawaiian dance competitions, Filipino dance competitions. Like we were this traveling dancing family, basically. Mm-hmm. Then I turned 10 and then my mom got sick and she got really sick. And so then I became a caretaker. And then that would literally be that road for me because I was the eldest of two younger brothers, DJ, mm-hmm. who was a year and a half younger than me, and Vinay, who was five years younger than me. And so between the ages of 10 and 16... I literally would be in and out of hospital rooms, 
caring for my mom. And I took on this persona of performative. So we would perform, we were playing the piano, we were dancing, we would perform for the nurses. And it was, you know, the cutest thing, but I didn't really have that regular upbringing. I was also working a few jobs. So when my mom died when I was 16, that was really hard for my dad, like really tough. And so the idea for my dad growing up, he was culturally Indian and like that strict Punjabi dad. I mean, all accolades, you needed to get the straight A's, all of the things, right? But he didn't know how to process and he was just doing the best that he could. But in those circles, you don't go without a wife. Society kind of shuns you. Not only that, a year later, almost to the date, my brother, who I was then a senior in high school and it was our homecoming. And my brother DJ was literally going to the high school right across the street from me. So we were, you know, we were set to meet after school and he had an asthma attack and he didn't usually have asthma attacks. You know, he, he grew up with asthma. But that particular day, and it was on my youngest brother's 12th birthday. So my youngest brother, Vinay, it was his 12th birthday. My brother, DJ, has an asthma attack and they couldn't revive him. They tried three times in the, uh, in the ambulance. And, uh, you know, they say that he was the closest to my mom. And so he became that angel and he left mm-hmm. us that day. And so that probably was the biggest, because I think with folks who are diagnosed with a medical diagnosis. I mean, even back then, I knew that the grieving started the day they got the diagnosis. But with my brother, it was just like shock and like paralytic shock where it it takes you to your core. And then two years after that, my dad, he got diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And so it was just okay, what, when is this going to end? For me, there's all of these feelings of like anger and frustration and just so like mad at the world and just thinking that things were so unfair and obviously kept me in this like victim mindset for a while until the one mantra that my dad would do and, and actually was very spiritual. And so even when my mom was sick for you know years, she was in and out of hospitals And even through my brother's death, my dad would still meditate every Sunday with his mala beads, Mm -hmm. every Sunday for two to three hours. And we didn't know what that was. When we were little, we would just like run in, interrupt him, run around, and he'd have to chase us out. But now looking back, I'm like, oh my God, he was setting us up for this spiritual practice because perhaps maybe in some way he knew or, you know, I just remember him in the hospital bed when I was with my crew of girlfriends who literally would sing to him in his final days. He always said, don't lose your faith. Mm -hmm. And that's still that mantra that rings true to this day. But I still had that chip on my shoulder of like, I don't want society. I don't want our community to feel bad for us, to think we're broken, to think that we're not going to amount to anything. So I kicked into massive coping mechanisms. What were those? Oh, boy. Because I can tell you my coping. <laughs> you know my. <laughs> well, you know, I still needed to be that good Indian Filipino girl. So <laughs> I think I was like so against, 
you know, all of the drinking and the, you know, I don't think I took a sip of alcohol until I went to studied abroad in Italy, like when I was 21. But that's like later. But mine were like overachieving, overworking, Mm. overcompensating, overdoing, and just overgiving. So constant through line. And I'll tell you in my love life, Mm -hmm. I definitely hung on to relationships that were shitty, that were awful, that didn't really treat me right, that were emotionally unavailable because I really so badly wanted to recreate a family that I had lost. So through therapy, I love talking about relationships. (laughs) Trying to recreate a family that you had lost. What? How does that, what you've learned in therapy and whatever work you've done, mm-hmm. what does that translate into? And why you would be in an abusive relationship and perhaps feel not worthy? Oh, yes. No, it's such a great question because I think that, you know, at the end of the day and the work that I do now, right, really all the emotional health stuff, emotional grit, emotional resiliency, it all comes back to at the core end of it, we want to feel loved. We want to belong. We want to be accepted. And for so much of my life, I was already racially ambiguous. People were always like, what are you? You know, like, are you like Hawaiian? So I always wanted to fit in because I was usually like the one and only Asian kid and I could pass for so many different things. So that was kind of one of the things. And as a young person, you're like, that's all you want to do is fit in. So then when you have people dying around you, especially as a young person in high school, where Young people don't even have the knowledge. They don't know what that even means. They don't know how to hold space or be there for you. Mm -hmm. So all you want is just to fit in every time. It was the feeling of abandonment and the, am I worthy? Am I going to feel accepted? Can I belong? Am I actually broken? And I think hanging on to these relationships, of course, within all of the lots of work that I've done now from, you know, traditional to alternative to all of the things. I think that it's the me not even being able to love myself mm-hmm. in that despair, in the brokenness and to accept, yeah, you are broken right now. And actually, that's a good thing. That's okay. Because when we break we can repair. When we break down, we break through, but we rise up again. And sometimes those breakdowns can actually be those building blocks to be that next chapter. And that next chapter was the big divorce. That was the big final breakdown where I'm like, I need help. Yeah. And I'm sure from your family, a divorce is not accepted. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it was like another taboo. What do you mean? Every every relationship goes through ups and downs. But I think it was the shame and the guilt of, okay, well, what would my parents think if they were here? Would they approve of this? It was always, what would my parents think? Mm-hmm. And it was like I was constantly doing things to get their, you know, the ghosts of their approval. And that once I changed that and I had really pivotal experience. Psychedelics has also been part of my healing journey. I want to talk about that. Yeah, we can go there. Finish this story, but then your healing journey. And then I want to go to psychedelics because I got thoughts 
and opinions on that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and so I think that that was the first time when I allowed myself to fully break down mm-hmm. and allow myself to cry because growing up, it was like, all right, you're strong, Nita. You're very strong. You've got this. You've got your brother. And so for me, I thought, oh, if I'm going to be crying, then, oh my gosh, they're not going to take me seriously. Mm-hmm. So I remember just constantly holding back tears until a decade later when I didn't know where to put everything. Then it just like burst in, 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 in just in place. And walking away then from pretty much all of the things that were familiar to me. So yeah. the house, the even the friendships, the social circles, literally recreating and reinventing myself. But in that, I then took on more therapists and coaches and consultants in my business because I needed to carve out time away from my dental practice so that I could focus on healing. Because this would be the first time in a decade not working like afternoon jobs and and three different jobs to support my little brother, mm-hmm. you know, because I had my little brother. And so, you know, it was all these things that I could finally focus on me. So I needed to get that business part right. And I was naturally good at it because I had to hustle through my life. Like survival was my thing. But now in my 30s, healing became the thing. And healing through different alternative modalities, which was okay, why do we make the decisions that we make? And that sent me on a goose chase of, well, what do the top people, the leaders, like how do they cope with that sucked moments? And so that led me onto a path that would lead me into my very first book, Emotional Grit. And really the through line for me has been connecting the dots with all of the emotional resiliency, the emotional grit that was part of my life to then say, you know what? Hmm. I I don't know if dentistry is my thing or ever was. It was just one of those things and I knew I like was... Like an expectation of... Absolutely. Just, it was an expectation of... The family. Of, 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 of yeah, you yeah. got to be a de- dentist, doctor. doctor, all of those yeah. safe jobs because, you know, we were just doing what we were told. The thing is, is I was actually pretty good at it up you until was, a point. <laughs> I think I told you the day I was at recording your podcast... I was supposed to have a dentist appointment. Yes. And then I canceled it because I was going on your podcast and I found out that you were a dentist. And there, at least I... You look good. Your teeth look great. <laughs> I still your need to reschedule great. that one. <laughs> now I can be that anchor for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm good. So, okay. Transition and then taking that moment where you're like, this is not what I want in life. Mm. And finding out what your next purpose is. Because I find that there's a lot of people who are like, well, I'm in my 30s now. I'm in my 40s. I can't have a transition. This is what I'm doing. I can't be something different. I can't follow my passion. Mm-hmm. What would your advice be? Oh, I am the queen of reinvention. Mm-hmm. And I love it. I'm <laughs> like, bring it on. And, you know, I think it's part of that. I, uh, a lot of the things that I talk about in the book around audacious resilience, mm-hmm. right? And the idea of the audacity to be resilient, it's just being unapologetic. So really to align yourself with, okay, where are you are right now in this season of life? Like what is really speaking to you? And that season of my life when I was actually dabbling in. I was reinventing myself. I had to find a new group of friends. And not only that, just the confidence to 
be on my own two feet. I mean, it just took so much massive energy. And so I started, you know, improv and I started stand-up comedy. Mm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All, all of the things to really, these were the things that I literally wrote down that I'm like, all right, what am I so afraid of? And back then it was, I didn't want to be seen. I literally wanted to just hide. And so I'm like, nope, okay, these are the things. And of course I was being challenged by therapists and and coaches that I was working with as well. And so with every new experience, it was, oh, okay, great. So then I started spending time with like people who were in the nonprofit world. So I started a nonprofit, women and girls championing their self-confidence. I started to speak more around that and why that was such a big thing for me. Well, my story. So then when I started to do that, oh, I, I went to nonprofit management course in like Stanford. Which I should probably go there. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give you. I'll I'll give you. It's actually a great program. I realize I'm like, oh wow, people are doing some really big things. But again, the idea of that is it's it opened my eyes to all of these new ways of learning versus just being stuck in this like cubicle, you know, like dental office, four walls. And what I realized that you know the people at Stanford they were also teaching at the business school, and that's like where Silicon Valley is and you know where all these startups were. And I'm like, whoa, startup culture. Oh my goodness. And I was so blown away that I became an angel investor. And that's how I started to then take that bridge into what would be my next evolution unknowingly. I did not know that I was going to be this leadership coach. I did not know that I was going to be speaking on emotional resilience and going to corporations and organizations. That I did not know. I did not know I would be investing in other people's companies. So for those who are stuck, try with that one improv class. You know, with that one thing, start building that bridge of what really excites you and start saying yes. You know, there's a framework in the book that I talk about. It's called the Fly Forward Framework. And there's five stages. And usually people don't take any action when they first hit the first stage is a fall. So in my case, that fall was the divorce. And the ignition is stage two, when you actually take that step to either stay in the relationship or leave. Well, in my case, completely changed my entire life. So that's stage two. And stage three is that rising. And that rising stage is when we're like, hmm, do I want to start something new? Do I want to learn about that skill? Do I want to start that side hustle or whatever that is or pursue something completely different or maybe invest or maybe volunteer my time at an organization that I love? That's the rising because you're just taking baby steps to just discover who you are in this new season of life. So you talk about being in a cubicle. And there's a lot of you listening. It's like, this is my job. Like, I have to do this. I can't be an entrepreneur. I can't be an investor. I am not going to be on stage or a speaker. But how can you find purpose, in your opinion, but still have that that nine to five, but find that purpose as you become more spiritual or connected with self? universe, you're like, I, you get that craving of what is my purpose? There is something greater than this, but like making your money and have, you could have a great job. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Great job. thousand percent. But not have purpose. Mm -hmm. So what would you say would be that, that gateway to 
Oh, yes. So I would say dedicate yourself to... You can start with a week of yes or even a month of yes. And a month of yes where you are discovering certain things about yourself. And it's part of how to build a concept that I call your bounce factor. And in the book, the first part of the book, a lot of the reasons why you'll see scholars and all sorts of people who've been through sucky AF moments Mm -hmm. is because they've been through something really tough, right? So there's four components to building your bounce factor. The first part is, well, recognizing the shit that you've been through, which Mm -hmm. is your upbringing and how you were raised and all of those things. Because that you can't really change, but you can make peace with. But the second part, which most often people don't necessarily do, is expose yourself to good stress. So if you are in a job that you might not really like anymore, or maybe you're really happy at it, but you're now either growing or your growth is stagnant, or maybe you're curious. So the first thing is, is if you're curious, write down all of the things that are scary. Make a list. Kind of like that list that I shared of, oh my God, I do not know how I would be at improv or the thought of myself doing like a five minute like pitch in front of people for like being funny. Oh my God, writing jokes. There's no way. Just the thought of it, I got like legit like anxiety. But that's the reason why you do it. That's the reason. And that's the that's exposing yourself to that good stress because that's taking ownership of your environment. And you may find that that purpose is there. You may find a new rekindled version of yourself that's excited because you've got these new neural pathways that are like forming and you're like, oh wait, I'm actually not so bad at this. I'm actually really good as a singer. I'm actually really, oh, I'm funny. funny. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) right. So it adds not only a new pep in your step, but you start to discover things about yourself that maybe were dormant. I agree with that. So I, even in the beginning of starting Tone It Up, I was like a shy little Karina, like going on stage. and even You being shy? You don't think so? No. See, because 13 years later, I've challenged myself. And then I get so excited after getting off stage now. I'm like, I did that. Like I spoke. I inspired people and I never thought I would do that. But it is literally like change is uncomfortable and putting yourself out there you have this feeling of accomplishment and then you can keep going to the next mm-hmm. the next step and just feeling fulfilled in that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. 10 days of yes or maybe even, yes. even a month of yes. But you have to say yes to the new uncomfortable experiences. That may scare you. Yeah. Saying yes more. All right. Uh, back to those psychedelics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So so I'll tell you a story when I actually and this is probably the the biggest healing part of my journey and I think that this was kind of the next trajectory in in the road of shift and change but I was on my road to saying yes and I was saying yes to everything and I was doing all these deep dives with different healers body workers somatic practitioners energetics I mean you name it and then there was this, you know, invitation for this three-day experience. And I'm like, okay, well, sure. I'll say yes, because I'm in my yes bubble. And I had just recently that year been to Burning Man for the first time, mm. which completely shifted everything. I mean, 
Have you been? No. Okay. But for someone listening, and two sentences, what is burning? Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. It is the place where you come home to yourself. You're just in, a, in this art. I mean, it's art. It's spirituality. It's what you want to create it to be for you. And for me, it was a full spiritual expansion of growth, self-reliance, love, acceptance, and being in uncomfortable conditions where you have to leave no trace. It's like going camping as well as really loud and fun and incredible music with a lot of amazing people who are just all about love and embracing and accepting. So that was, that was such a powerful experience for me. And so I was on that trajectory already of being more open and saying yes to things and opportunities. So I said yes to this three-day. And they had always said, okay, you know, ayahuasca, it's like 10 years of therapy all in one night. And I had watched all of the, the documentaries and all of these things. And I, was, I had been journaling about it. So when this opportunity came about, I was like, okay, they say if she calls you, then you say yes. Like it was like in the back of my mind. So I'm like, okay, sure, right? So I get there and for those three days, you know, it's the first day you're the, the shaman, you're in a room and you're like sitting down with everybody and the person is telling you like what you're going to be experiencing. These are 10 strangers, by the way except for one, one person I did know, the girl who actually invited me. And so we're, we're getting cozy, but I'm still kind of like not sure what to expect. And I'm kind of getting nervous. And so the shaman kind of knew and they're like, you know what? Like release all your expectations, intentions. I'm like, I actually don't know what to expect, but sure, I'm going to go into to this with like full heart and trust. And so we had a journaling exercise before we got into it and then music was played and there was, you know, intentions were there. And, and, and actually they interviewed you before you got to the place to make sure you were all okay and yeah. you wanted to, you know, you were okay to be in that circle because it was a very intimate environment. The first night, you did it for three nights. And the first night, I remember it was, uh, you know, you took your first cup. And for me, it was all about shedding my ego. And it was like, why am I doing what I'm doing? And this idea of, because at that time, I had bought the building where my dental practice was. Mm. So I was, I was like one foot in the dental world while I'm like, all right, I'm going to expand and I'm going to grow and I'm going to have all these things and I'm going to get somebody to run it. And so this was my ego coming up and the vision that I had. And it was, what if you didn't have it anymore? And I'm like, there's no way I've built this up. This is my baby. Like these are all these things. And it was a dark vision of what if this was all stripped away from you? You know, you would integrate during the day, you would go on hikes. And so it was beautiful. And so uh, the next night, it was, it was, again, another ceremony, another chanting, another serve of ayahuasca. And of course, this night was literally the, the wailing and the crying and the full release. And it was as if I, I was probably the one crying and moaning and groaning the most out of everyone in the group, <laughs> or at least that was my experience of it. And I felt like it was basically that 
things were just stuck. The emotions of the grief of my mom, my dad, my brother was just stuck in my body. And for whatever reason, it was just purging, Mm -hmm. but coming out in the form of just tears. And I felt like it was all of those tears that I like held back for so long, for so many years. And even the grieving of my ex-husband, because Mm -hmm. for so long I was literally working on the rebuild of myself. But I'm like, oh my God, if it wasn't for that crazy experience, I wouldn't be on this path of where I am right now. I wouldn't be in this weird retreat that I'm in saying yes. And so I've had this like gratitude for him being in my life and being that trajectory and that, that crazy opening for unconditional love for myself. And then day three, it was the vision. And it was literally the biggest party of my dad, my mom, and my brother. Mm-hmm. And they were like angels on my shoulders. My dad and my mom were on this side. My brother was on my left side. I was like in this Peter Pan movie. But my parents were with me. They were all wearing white. I was wearing white and I was like flying the world with them. But I had that sense of permission to be like, you know, go and, and sell that business my dental office, my dental practice, and go and do what you're meant to do, whatever that is. Like basically the permission that I got your back. Like yeah. I've always, we've always been with you and we're cheering you on, we're championing you on. And I'm like, it's like flood works. And so when I get back to Chicago, literally, because I had a restraining order against my husband. And you know, they say ayahuasca works in weird ways. They're going to still keep, you know, it's going to still keep yeah. working. Yeah, And so I get back and a few things had happened. But that night, I was supposed to meet my girlfriend at a restaurant, this busy restaurant, Monday night. We get there and we're sitting down. And I'm telling her like, oh my God, my life has changed. I'm like fully, I'm like healed. I don't know. This is like so different. I feel so expansive. I feel so light, like that dark cloud that has been over my head for a really long time has now dissipated. And it was interesting because as I was telling her what happened, I got a tap on my shoulder. And I'm thinking that it's like the waiter. It's like, yo, ladies order. You guys have been here for an hour, just in full conversation. And so I turn around and I kid you not, it's my ex-husband. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, whoa. And usually me, old Nita would get PTSD, would get like full on like a panic attack. And I just looked and I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so he's, he's just like, hey, I just wanted to interrupt. Didn't mean to interrupt, but just wanted to say hi. And are you okay? And I was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was no, you know, that was, I felt like that was like the closure, but that was it. It was just super fast, quick, five seconds. But in that moment, I felt like, all right, that's a chapter of my life. That is is closed. And that was a closure. There was no need for sorry or anything like that. It was just, we both felt at peace. There was no energetic charge, nothing. And literally the Tuesday after, I called my financial advisor and I said, so um, in six months, I'm going to sell this practice. And uh, am I going to be okay? (laughs) and he's like you just went on a retreat like what (laughs) are you doing you just signed papers to buy this building and you're expanding the practice are you okay maybe you need to go home and think about it I'm like no I'm actually clear 
Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I've never done ayahuasca. I never say never, but it's, I'm not called. <laughs> but I've done a lot of work in therapy and with having PTSD and like doing like EMDR was really helpful for me. So good. With not being triggered and having PTSD with certain things with my mother. Yeah. And uh, yeah, whatever therapeutic ways work for you, it's it's amazing. Like so that you can live your life and I don't know. Well, and I do want to say this though. I don't think Aya is for everyone. Yeah. I really don't. I don't think psychedelics is for everyone. We have to figure out what feels right for us all. You yeah. know, and I think that in that moment of yes, I think what's been so exploited now with the world of psychedelics is like it's like a cool thing to do where I think you have to do your research to see if it is right for you. Yeah, and have a good like, doctor, someone who does it. I mean, I, for me, I'm just Absolutely. so I am just so on the fence about all that because when I was a teenager, I was psychedelics all day long. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I don't think I need to go back there. I probably didn't dose it right. Oh no! <laughs> but do you have I, a lot of bad trips? Um, you know, shockingly, no. I had friends who did, but somehow I didn't have bad trips. Oh, one time on mushrooms. Okay. I thought I was going to be homeless and living in Venice Beach <laughs> with the rest of the homeless for the rest oh my of my God. life. But I came out of that. You okay. came out of that. I'm I okay. think so. Yeah, you're, you're good. You're sitting, you're, you're sitting up, right? <laughs> but I mean, hey, <sighs> I have no judgment here. Oh, man. But all right. So I wanted to get into to the embodiment practice to give yourself permission to sit in uncomfortable emotions and perhaps end with that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And a brief, like something brief that someone can take away and in a moment of being uncomfortable, what they can do. Oh, yes. So most of the time we, I mean, think about yourself when you have had a rough day or maybe you found out that I don't know, somebody is leaving you or a friend has betrayed you or you just got in a charge with somebody that you love, right? Or an argument with your partner. We've all been through those sucky moments. And I think that so much, it's so easy for us to numb. We've been talking a lot about our coping mechanisms. It's so easy for us to numb and shove things under a rug or just forget about it by numbing the pain in some way, scrolling, taking out our phone. So we distract, we numb, we busy ourselves. Those are the three main coping mechanisms. But what I would love, and this is an embodying practice, embodiment practice and emotional release practice that I talk about in the book, is helping you all normalize the suck. Normalize even talking about the suck. And even just saying, wow, that thing that you said to me the other day, that really hurt. Mm-hmm. Like, I really felt that. I put my all into that. And I felt like I wasn't seen there. You know, so really acknowledging the fact that whatever the thing was hurt you or that you feel sad about it or that you feel confused about the relationship. And a lot of times, it's always within relationship that we're going to be triggering each other and like having the battle. And so my invitation would be, can you embrace 
the suck. So the first thing is, is can you embrace it? Which means, all right, acknowledge it by saying, I am feeling blank. I am feeling hard on myself right now. I am feeling under a lot of pressure. I am feeling overwhelmed and actually feel it. So, you know, if we close our eyes and we can feel and, and go inward, but really feel like, do we notice the weirdness, the weird knot or the weird sensation in our tummy because we've been holding in our anxiety or like the stress? Or do we feel it more in our head, you know, tension headache? Or do we feel it in our neck? Like really notice where you feel your stress, your anxiety, your overwhelm, because that's really where we need to pay attention to it. And so then after that, what you want to do is then we want to anchor it. Okay, well, anchor, what does that mean? Well, you can say the mantra, well, that sucked. Now what? That's one anchor. Or you can bring up a photo of yourself, maybe when you were five years old or maybe 10 years old or 12 years old when you had to ward off bullies or stand up for yourself because somebody was talking bad about you in the lunch hall. Because there are parts of ourself that gets triggered when things don't go our way or when we encounter a failure, when we encounter a setback. So perhaps tune into that part that maybe is fragile that needs you. And a lot of times it's our younger version of ourself that we haven't really integrated yet. Or maybe that's still healing from a past breakup and she or he needs that tenderness. So you can take a younger version or younger photo of yourself or just simply say, that sucked, now what? That sucked, now what? So we're anchoring it. That's number two. And three, we can play a song, literally. You know, you can find a rage playlist on Spotify. You can find a angry playlist. You could, you know, rage against the machine. Like any song for me, because I have young kids, it's literally Cats and Boots, the dinosaur dance. Look it up. It's ridiculous. It is so ridiculous. I don't know that one. Yeah. Now, but it is so ridiculous because it's like EDM music, but it's like twerk music oh, okay. to dinosaur. It's like shake like a dinosaur, dance like a... It's like, it's ridiculous. You guys have to play it. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. It's so ridiculous that even in the suckiness of the suck, you can embrace it, but then play that for 60 seconds and stomp out the suck, shake out the suck, scream out the suck. So a lot of times we're not activating or moving the energy that's stuck in our body. So basically you are full body feeling it and also releasing it. Because when we scream into a pillow or when we scream out loud, when we open our mouth and even voice, I am fucking upset right now. Or I'm angry that I didn't get that promotion. I'm angry that I wasn't seen by my boss. That in and of itself is the act of releasing, of feeling better. Like, oh yeah, I feel better right now. And after that, we can move it. So we can shake, we can stomp, we can dance, we can jump up and down, we can do burpees, whatever, but move it out so it's not stuck in our bodies. Because most of the time we're, all right, let me pick up my phone and I'm going to get a hit of dopamine and scroll. Mm -hmm. Are we moving that energy? No, it's getting mm -hmm. stuck in our body. It's getting stuck in our armpits. It's getting stuck everywhere. So then after that, we can do a very easy transformation. So transform the suck is the next step. So then the final two steps is, is transform and then release. So transform is when you open your mouth and start belly laughing, even if you don't want to. But this like giggle 
laughter. And if you're playing something ridiculous like Dinosaur Dance uh, by Cats and Boots, you'll see why it's so ridiculous. You'll start laughing. But that giggling activates your vagus nerve. Mm -hmm. The giggling activates the vagus nerve, so activates the rest and digest the parasympathetic system. So you're not fight, flight, or freeze anymore. You're resting and you're calming yourself down. And then you can add on to that by releasing. So the final step in this process is the releasing. And the releasing is just take three deep breaths and hum or buzz it out. So you can go like this. Or you can you can tell I have kids. Um, <laughs> you can tell I probably do this with them too. Because it's a great practice with any family, right? But the buzzing and the ohm or the humming or the screaming, again, that's to activate our vagus nerve. Because if you do that three times, and just try it right now. All right. Oh. Okay. Hi. Hi, and we're back. Hi. And that's how you release it. I love that. Thank you. Such a great takeaway. And I have Two my, my one note I took here is cats and <laughs> boots shake like a dinosaur. Oh my God. We should do it together. <laughs> so you can add that to your new playlist for Tone It Up. Yes. <laughs> I'm literally. Oh my God. Yes. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for being here. It was such a good conversation. I feel like we could have more, but I know we both busy women. Yes. We got Thank you so much for the conversation. It was amazing. For your audience, we do have a very special gift. So when they go to thatsuckednowwhat.com, they get a book. Uh, they get three, not one, not two, but three bonuses. So one is the healing five-day practice. And it starts with... We talked a lot about relationships today and it starts with healing those relationships in our life. So it's a five-day healing practice journey. Yes. Thank you so much. And if you need to find me, uh, everything's in the show notes and uh, maybe she'll be back. I feel like... Yes. <laughs> All right. I would love Thanks. that. Thanks, love. Thank you for joining us today and every Wednesday. If you or anyone you know needs help now, text HERO to 741-741 to connect with a crisis counselor. Our crisis text line is private and confidential. If you loved this episode or think a loved one could benefit from listening, please share. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the.big.silence. Head over to thebigsilence.com to sign up for our newsletter to stay in the loop for live events coming up and details on the release of my memoir, The Big Silence. And as always, we'd love a like, subscribe, and leave a review on anywhere the podcast can be found. I love you, and I will see you next Wednesday. One, two, three, sing it. Here's to radical self-love, the type of love that will defeat anxiety, the type of love that defeats depression. This is the one life. This is the moment. This is the time to dig in, to be who you already are. The big silence. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out. The big silence. Breathe in, breathe out. Breathe in, breathe out.
Mm-hmm. 